constituency and all that is add the chaos to people's lives so that it makes them guess. Could you help me out a minute? You just take this and pull it all the way down the aisle there. We're not going to have a wedding. It just it looks like it. He's fast. <laughs> Whenever I come, I like to bring along something that you can focus on. I was never in a beauty contest. I think you know why. But anyway, it gives you something to look at. That's a list of the languages of the world that still have nothing of the Word of God. No language translation and process. No one there. Not one word of Scripture. That's not individual people's names. That's 1,846 different languages. Languages. People groups. Nearly 18 million people around the world. I guess I better turn it on. How's that? There we go. Vicki and I have been with Book of the Bible translators longer than some of you have been alive, and that's shocking to me. It may be more shocking to you. I don't know. But you as a body have stood behind us most of those years, and we are so incredibly thankful. We didn't look like that when we left here, but you can get a card that looks like that out in the, the foyer. We have some here too. One of the things that enables us to keep going is your prayers your encouragement, your support, but your prayers standing behind us. Because this list of people here, this list of language groups, is what keeps me motivated. You know, I've had the opportunity over all these years of different jobs. I started out as a pilot, mechanic. Most of you got to know me as that, and it's been fun. Even after I stopped doing that in 2000, uh, I still come back and people ask me, well, how's the flying going? I said, really good. I sit in the back now. <laughs> and it's, it's an adventure. But our focus has still been transform lives through the translated Word of God. And that's what drew me to focusing on Romans 10 today. We'll get into that in just a moment. But the focus is the translated Word of God. I have seen personally the difference in a person's life between when they're able to hear or read or see the word of God in their own language they'd learned on their mother's laps as they were growing up compared to hearing it in a trade language or another language they learned as their third or fourth or fifth or sixth language some of the people that I've been around over the years amazing they speak five different languages fluently but nothing touches their hearts like that living powerful, penetrating Word of God in their heart language. That's what motivates me. That's what keeps me going. You've known us over the years as focused on the Philippines. I'm going to do something really crazy and move these stands around a little bit too. See how disruptive it is and invite me into your church? Many of you you have known us as focusing on the Philippines. And that's throw that green one off to the off to the right over there. We were focused there for 21 years in aviation as a pilot mechanic administration. Mickey was doing nursing and administrative work and buyer and all kinds of things. Still focused on seeing the word of God translated into the languages of the people of the Philippines. Well, that came to an end when we returned to the United States in 
2009, six years ago this month, which is still shocking to me that it's been that long ago, because we needed to be here to help care for mom and dad. Mom's gone now. But through that time, I've changed from being the pilot in the front of the airplane to being the passenger in the back of the airplane because I continue to serve across all of Asia now, not just the Philippines, the security contingency coordinator, helping to train people and work with people, consult with people as they're going out into some really remote, difficult places, how to be safe, how to be secure, what to do if things go wrong. It was interesting working through Romans 10 and thinking as I was sitting in the airport in Singapore on the way back from my last trip to Indonesia last month, uh, writing to you, and that letter, as again, there's some out there, and uh, those of you who are on our email list, you receive it. And if anyone would like to receive our monthly letters, please sign up. We'd love to correspond with you. Sitting and thinking about what the Lord is doing in, through my life and in my life as I struggled through situations such as a volcano that's erupting over there. And I checked the news this morning. The airport in Bali that I was leaving is still closed because the volcano is still erupting and the ash is blowing across and keeping people from flying. I met a lot of very unhappy Australians who were there on vacation, and they thought an extra six days was a little bit too much of staying at the airport. I only had to stay an extra three days. But through all of that, there it is. I want to bring to you the question of what if. Anybody ever ask themselves that question? Any context at all? Anybody? A few people do. I know you did. The idea of what if in Romans 8, or Romans 10, verses 8 through 15. Now, many of you may be very familiar with the book of Romans as Paul lays out the gospel. What is that good news? That Jesus Christ, God himself, came, died on a cross as our sacrifice, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. And his death and resurrection is our gift of salvation, freedom from our own sins. And so as he goes into chapter 9 and then on into chapter 10, he's talking about the Israelites. Now, I told you about the journey that I was on just last month, of two weeks in Indonesia, two different places. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But as I journeyed through there, one of the things that's on my mind is in this writing, Paul's writing to Romans, and he's on his third missionary journey. And likely he's in Corinth, sitting in a room, writing out these words to people he's not visited yet, believers in Rome. And a lot of the context is about the Israelites, the Israelites who were very, very devout religious people. You like rem remember that Paul, when he was called Saul, was very devout Jew, hunting down the Christians, persecuting the Christians who were defiling God in what they were doing, having them killed, having them imprisoned, until God changed him, transformed his life into one of the most prolific writers and one of the most bold champions for the gospel that's ever existed. Because God got a hold of his life. And he expresses in these verses some of his frustration with the chosen people of God, the Israelites, that they know God. 
But they've chosen the laws. They've chosen the traditions instead of choosing Christ. So this is what he says in verse 8. Well, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Remember, these are, this is writing to people and about people who think they have all these laws they have to obey, all these traditions, all the sacrifices they have to do. He's saying, wait a minute, you need to believe. For it is with your heart that you will believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Wow, wasn't that radical? Remember the Jews, the laws? You don't, even, you don't deal with Gentiles. You don't have anything to do with them at all. They will defile you. And here's Paul this very devout Jew saying, wait a minute, before God, there's no difference between these Jews and you Gentiles. Before him, you're the same. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one who they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let that sink in a minute. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles anymore, what Paul's proclaiming. We all come to God in the same way in heart, acknowledge faith in Jesus Christ and that good news that Paul's proclaiming. But how are people going to hear? They don't have the written word of God. When I went to Indonesia, not the first time I've been there, it is a beautiful country. It really is. It's many, many islands. It's a huge country, long country. Lots of temples. I was in Bali for those extra days, too. Bali is renowned for Hinduism and these ornate, beautiful temples where people come and follow very strict traditions to seek to gain favor with the gods, many gods. Beautiful temples that date back centuries. Huge mosques. And I was in one part of, I was in two different places in Indonesia. The second place I was at was a city, and it was during the end of Ramadan, the feast, the month of fasting, where you don't eat during the day at all, during sunlight, but they eat pretty much all night long. It's fascinating learning more about that. But throughout the night, whether it's from the big mosques or many of the wealthier people have these small mosques in their family compound. They might have a compound that would be the size of one of your larger yards, and in the corner would be this very ornate little mosque that they would go into worship. Three o'clock every morning, the call to prayer rings out across loudspeakers across the city to the point where I was using earplugs and my noise-canceling headphones and my iPad hooked up with a noise-generating thing so I could at least sleep a little bit while I was there working. 
very devout. Very devout. Seeking to appease Allah in this case. Seeking to appease this plethora of gods of the Hindus. Working hard, but missing very much. But it isn't about traditions. It isn't about endless lists of names that most of us can't even pronounce. It's about people. And if you remember nothing else from what I have to say, all this is about what pains the hearts of God, of people who are in desperate need of knowing Him as their Lord and Savior. I had a tremendous opportunity in two different places to work with this group of people and a second group of people who are reaching out similar to what Paul is doing but even in more dangerous ways. They're going into people groups and I'm not supposed to show their pictures very long. I can't use their names. I can't tell you where they are. I can't tell you the people group they're working with. They're working in very creative ways to be able to live with, to be a witness to, to allow people to see Jesus in them. To be able to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Christ, but if I come up to you and say, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ because you need to get saved, I will literally be arrested, convicted, and put in prison. It is illegal to evangelize in that way. I can, if you ask me, I can answer your questions, but even then I have to be very careful. And if I upset enough people, as one young couple found out, in the town that I was staying in, it was a few, it was a couple years before I was there, they decided they were going to really go in there, move into the heavily Islamic part of the town, and just really be a witness for Christ. Uh, They were there a few weeks, and their car was burned, and the immigration authorities came and escorted them out of that area so they wouldn't be injured, took them and kept them at the airport in safety so they could fly out of the country and be gone. A group of people is seeking to love people, translating the Scriptures very, very quietly. One of the families... Actually, a family where it's this young gal that, uh, again, we've been doing this for a while. She grew up as a part of another family we knew who were living and working in Indonesia, and now she's back there with her husband and four children, and they're in one of these places. One of the places, the place that they're working, there are a few believers, and they're very quietly working together, beginning translation of the scriptures. One of my most favorite scripture passages is Psalm 23. And obviously it really caught the heart of this young man who was a believer in that language community. And working together, they translated Psalm 23. And he thought it would be really, really nice to make up a picture poster. This isn't the one he did, but this is an example. A picture poster using the verses of Psalm 23 translated into their language and then put pictures with it to highlight the meanings behind those verses. And it really came out really nice. So they took it to a local print shop, <clears throat> thinking they'd print up some of these and they could give them away as gifts and get them out in the community. They didn't put the scripture references on there because in these communities, all their life, they've been told that Christians are evil. They've been told that these are the people who want to hunt us down, steal our children, and kill us 
And so the whole idea of Christian literature is offensive. Not because of what it is, but because what they think it is. So they took us to the print shop, and as the work was being done, the owner of the print shop came to them and said, this is really, really good. I'm so happy to see poetry in our own language being written and, and printed so that people can have it. The living, powerful, penetrating Word of God doesn't need someone to stand up and proclaim, this is God's Word, you need to listen. It's here. Please, read this. See what it says. Any of you enjoy Proverbs? Years ago, I had to challenge from uh, someone about that idea. There are 31 Proverbs, right? 31 books, 31 chapters in Proverbs. And so there's one for every day of the month. In February, you can just finish up on the 28th and read the last four. The book of Proverbs. In another very restricted place, a friend of mine, there is a linguist studying the local language, translating portions of scripture privately in the background. He's invited out to dinner at the home of one of the community leaders. He and his wife are there enjoying dinner with the family. They're talking about lots of different things and the topic of the linguistic study of their language and all came up. And he happened to mention to this family that he had translated the a book of poetry. And it really caught the attention of their daughter. And he had brought a copy on his Kindle. Anybody have a Kindle? How long does it last? How long does the battery last on one of those things? Kindle goes for days. Right? So she said, oh, could I read it? Well, he said, oh, sure. So he gave it to her. And she went off into the corner and began reading. And the night was getting longer and they were needing to get home. And she came to him and said, um, I'm not done yet. Can I keep this for a while? And, okay, sure. You know, just bring it back tomorrow. So they went home. They went to bed, got up the next day. And then she came the next day. She said, thank, thank you so much. And gave it back to him. She had stayed up through the night until the battery died, reading the book of Proverbs over and over. The living, powerful, penetrating word of God. They can't go back there anymore. Their visas were denied. They were identified as being a part of Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they had to leave. But the words that are on that Kindle, I'm sure, still echo in her heart. And others are seeking to find a way to reach out, continuing into that people group. What if they had never gone? No one else is there right now. What if no one goes? What does that look like? question that comes up on the side often, is it worth it all? I wrote a little bit about in that letter to you. It's a struggle. One of our leaders, I was in a teleconference with him. He's, at, he's in Malaysia right now. There's a whole bunch of us that meet every other Monday night, and they're scattered around the world. And he brought up the fact. He said, you know, every once in a while I want to quit. Every once in a while, usually no more than once or so a day. It can be hard. <laughs> it really can be. But this 
is a lot of what keeps us going. What if someone does go? Last year, last couple of years, we've been writing to you about Ann West and the people in Ifugao. I'm gone at Ifugao. Years ago, the New Testament was completed and distributed. The church grew. More people believed in Jesus. They came together and began working with Ann to work on the Old Testament translation. And just a few months ago, it was finished and dedicated. Ignacio Mangangat, I've told you about a number of times over the years, he and his wife began working in a place called Majakayan. When I was a helicopter pilot, I flew building materials in to help him build his house. We flew water pipes in to put a water line from the nearest town over. The government paid for the pipe, and we provided the helicopter. About the same time of the Amgonid Old Testament translation, the completed Bible was done. They completed the New Testament and dedicated it. And to see the people in that community, by pictures, we weren't able to go, but the stories of Ignacio, the pictures from there to see how the Word of God is now there. Because people were willing to go. What if? What if you're in a place that you can't get a Bible? It's illegal to own one. You know there are places like that? That it's actually illegal to possess a Bible? You ever heard of a smartphone? Yeah, sure you have. I imagine most of the people in here have one. Did you know right now that there are groups who are gathering translated scriptures in the form of text files? Uversion, Bible.is if you're interested. Um, you notice it says 1,646 languages are now available. And it's not just in written form. Many of them are audio files. There are even video files. I updated that two nights ago because the last one there was about 40 languages less than that. I went on this morning to check, and there's already one more, continuing to add additional translations to where you can download the app on your computer, your smartphone, your tablet, no matter where in the world you are, that you can get to an Internet connection that has been blocked by the government, and you can download the Scripture in today, 1,647 languages, unless they beat me to it and put another one on since I looked at the penetrating Word of God, living, powerful, penetrating Word of God is reaching out around the world. But what if you can't read? And what if you can't hear? What about the deaf community? Have anyone here ever heard of or thought of Bible translation for the deaf community? Any guess how many different sign languages there are in the world? This just blew me away. There are 200 known sign languages in the world, and there's expectations probably there's over 400 altogether. And some dear friends of ours are out there working in those communities, studying those sign languages, reducing those sign languages into what? How would you translate for the sign language community? What would you do? Door International, as well as the Deaf Bible Society, are doing that now. And you can download the app. There's an app for that. You've heard that advertisement. To where it's videos. Videos of scripture stories. 
I think there's 16 different languages they have online right now. What if no one was willing to take the initiative to use those computer skills to reach out in that way? What if runs through my mind a lot in that it's a lot of teamwork. Even as you think back through the scriptures, as Paul was talking about his missionary journeys, did Paul go alone? No. He's written about a number of people, men that traveled with him. Where he went, he constantly was in the good graces of individuals who provided for his support, who gave him places to stay, who protected him, helped him to escape. It's a team. You are just an incredible blessing to us as part of our team. Look at Philippians 1. I'll kind of highlight it for you and then we'll move along so I don't keep you like a Philippine uh, worship service that goes until about 2.30. Every time I think of you, I thank the Lord for you. Really do. Mickey and I know well that without your prayers and your encouragement and support, we couldn't do what we're doing, which means that, that you are an integral part of the team. The way I serve this team of Bible translators, literacy people, now is as security and contingency coordinator for the Wicklow Fork across Asia. That's what I do these trips for. I'm leaving again in September to be in Thailand, a couple places, and then hopefully in Malaysia if they can get their schedules worked out. To do training and helping people to know how to be prepared. Going, being, telling, doing is what we're focused on. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of an insight as to what that looks like. And many of the people that I travel and serve they travel through very difficult ways. Ever heard of Lion Airlines? That's how I escaped Bali. I flew out on Lion Air. Uh, that airplane was actually landing at Bali, but it kind of didn't get quite there. It landed about a quarter of a mile short of the runway in the bay. Fortunately, I wasn't on that Lion Airline airplane. I was on a different one, and we successfully left. Boats. Many of our people travel between islands, especially places like Indonesia, by boats, and boats sink all the time. Just uh, a few days ago, was that Monday night or Tuesday night, I, or Tuesday morning, I get this call early in the morning from the JARS Maritime Services that an emergency locator beacon had been activated in the southern Philippines, and they wanted my help figuring out if it was real or if it was fake. And it belonged to a team working in a very remote, again, place we don't talk about having people in the southern Philippines. And fortunately, someone was doing a test, and they made a mistake, and they sent out a signal, and the U.S. Air Force is calling JARS, who's calling me, to say, Okay, what's up? Seeking to serve these folks to help them to be protected because those boats do sink quite often. Anybody remember the Nepal earthquake? I happened to be in, in, Tha in Thailand at the time that actually, well, major part of the recovery. I was in Manila and then I flew to Thailand as it was happening. I spent the next week, almost every night on Skype, over, working over the Internet, talking with the folks there doing some counseling with her director who was also in Thailand with me as well as one of the counseling team members who went over to work with them. Devastating earthquake. Many, many, many people died. Uh, we're thankful that none of the team that I worked with was injured physically. Some of them were really traumatized. A few actually left, were called home and probably won't go back because of the trauma of the earthquake. 
I got some news through uh, online research uh, browsing that they're suspecting that because of the intensity of the earthquake that there likely will be another earthquake in the near future there because all of the energy wasn't released is what they were saying. How would you counsel someone to be prepared to deal with an earthquake? Any thoughts? That's what I do. That's what I work with. Flooding. Philippines is this one. A lot of flooding. Thailand, China. Dealing with that, waking up one morning after the heavy rains and finding your whole yard and your first floor of your house is underwater. Civil unrest. Anybody been in the middle of a major riot? It's not pretty. See that building that's covered in smoke? Downtown Bangkok. Beautiful shopping mall. I used to go there a few years ago before the riots. It was completely burned during those riots. One of the men I work with, 7-Eleven you've heard of here. 7-Eleven in Thailand, there's, there's literally in Bangkok a 7-Eleven within sight of each other. He's up in his apartment looking out the front window as the rioting is going on in the streets. The police are shooting looters who are looting the 7-Eleven about 100 yards away from his house. And I'm on the Internet with him saying, get away from the window. <laughs> That's the place some of the people that we're working with, seeking to reach these people. That's what they're going through. What if? So this is some of what I teach them. So I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction of exactly what we do and how it works and then bring it back home. These are the four key basics. To be aware, be discerning, to be prepared, and to take action. To be aware. Burn this one into your mind. <laughs> if you keep that in your mind, that will probably be the best thing that you can do about being aware. Eyes wide open. Are you aware of what's going on around you? Have you ever been, have, have something stolen from your pockets? If you're really aware, you have a lot better chance of not being a, a victim. To know what those six levels of awareness are so you don't fall off the top end frozen in fear and become a victim to whoever wants to pass by. To be discerning. Oh, by the way, this is very brief. This usually takes two days. I'll give it to you in about five minutes. <laughs> To be discerning, not only to know what's going on around you, but to be able to figure out what that is. To think, to keep your mind running. You ever see any, uh, any I pick on the young people about this, any of you guys wear earbuds walking down the street? You know, I know, of course. Walking down the street, you know, sunglasses on, having a good time and falling in a manhole that happens to be open. I see those in Manila quite often. Um, yeah, tuned out. That's what comes on that scale. Remember, remember tuned out? Yeah, tuned out. Anyway, you know what that means? Just doesn't look right. You ever see anything like that? Just doesn't look right? Well, you're thinking in your cultural context. What doesn't look right in this Millersville context is going to be different than what doesn't look like in the Chiang Mai, Thailand context. That's what is a real struggle for someone who goes to live in a new culture to figure out what does that mean. How about that one? What? Dust doesn't feel right. If I am just happen to be walking down the street and this guy just kind of saddles up real close to me, is that a cultural context of they just really like close personal space? Well, not here. <laughs> doesn't feel right to be able to pay attention. This is one I love as a pilot. If you're flying your jet 
around through the clouds and you look over to your right and you see a mountain goat standing on that cloud, you're already in trouble. You know, just get over it. This isn't a matter of, oh, what a beautiful goat. No, no, you better pull up really fast. And that's not the ones we put on our toddlers. Um, <laughs> she got it. <laughs> and you like the beach? Where were you Christmas of 2004? Remember what happened then? People from all over the world had come to Asia enjoying the beach, beautiful sunny day. All of a sudden the, the water just recedes. The tide goes way out. People ran out onto the, the tidal flats to look at the coral and to see all the fish in the little pools. And, and local people were out there running around picking up the fish that were in the pools, taking them home to eat. It was, it was incredible. And a few moments later, tsunami wave came in and washed them all away. 240,000 people died. Were they aware that the water went out? Sure, they could see it. They were aware the water came back in too, but it was too late to do anything about it. Just doesn't look right. Just doesn't feel right. Discerning to be thinking. Being prepared to meet the threat. I'm amazing how many public service announcements I even see here these days about having supplies at home for storms or floods or other kind of things going on. Being able to be prepared. Now, if you happen to be working in a remote village somewhere where civil unrest may make you have to pick up your backpack with supplies and hike three days out to the nearest safe place to get out of the way before rebels sweep through the area and sweep you away with them. But then to be ready to take action. One of the most prepared zebras I've ever met was this guy. <laughs> as long as he doesn't run out of gas, he's in good shape. But it's the opportunity to be prepared to help yourself and also to help other people. And caring for yourself is very important. What if? What if no one is willing to take those risks? What if no one is willing to go to those difficult places where you could be arrested at any moment, your house could be searched? These are all stories that I'm going through. I won't give you the names of people that I know, but it's happened to them. Their house has been raided. Their house has been strip-searched. Anything that was found there that was even slightly out of the ordinary was used against them, jailed in some very difficult countries for months. Finally, those who were jailed in those situations were released. Those who were held hostage in other situations, some of them were not. But if no one's willing to go, no one's willing to take that risk, there are 18 million people in the world right now who still have nothing of the Word of God. Joshua Project, if you want to read more about world missions, the Joshua Project is online. They're estimating there are 2.9 billion people in the world who are unreached. 2.9 billion people who have been not reached, been reached for the gospel of Christ. We found that as we moved to Elizabethtown six years ago. Six years ago, the end of next month. Well, the neighbor boys came over. Mickey was had her Bible out on the kitchen table, having her devotions. And he's a very curious little character, still is, even more so six years ago. And uh, saying, what you doing? I'm reading. What you reading? 
I'm reading the Bible. What's that? This is Elizabethtown. E-Town's not that far away. You are in a mission field. You don't have to go where I go to be in the mission field. What if no one goes to your neighbors? What if no one speaks to your coworkers? What if no one takes that risk to talk to this man about the love of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made in dying and rising again for him? The living, powerful, penetrating word of God is the motivation that keeps me getting back on the airplane. I think it's going to be September 8th or 9th. I'll be getting on another airplane flying off to Thailand and then to Malaysia to do more of what I've been telling you we do. Because our focus is keeping those people in place that are skilled, gifted of God to translate that living, powerful, penetrating word of God into the language that will pierce the hearts of these people. And just, just like that print shop owner reading Psalms 23 in his own language is touched in his heart. And that young lady reading the book of Proverbs on that Kindle, not knowing, not identifying that this is the word of God, but being so touched by that, she couldn't put it down until the battery finally gave out. Transform lives through the translated word of God is what we have on the top of all of our prayer cards. Have been for years, and that's again what we're focused on. It's not about printing books. It's not about websites. It's about seeing lives transformed. I think that's what was Paul's heart as he sat in that little room in Corinth writing those words down, frustrated that the nation of Israel was not listening to the gospel. Challenging people to go and take the gospel and to preach it to people, Jews and Gentiles, you and me, to see their lives transformed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We appreciate your prayer so very much. We can't do it without you. And we're so thankful that what if, in our case, was yes, we'll stand with you. And thank you so much that you have. I'd like to take just a moment and pray for you. Because this isn't about me. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go away from here and remember nothing else other than that big-eyed young baby, that's okay. I want you to focus on keeping your eyes wide open to what God has for you. A picture I want to leave with you is one that I experience every time I travel. I stand in airports, I sit on airplanes, and I look at thousands of people walking by or sitting with me. Those last flights into Indonesia, I was the only white face on the entire airplane, especially in the last airport I went to. I was it. Thousands of people that I will only briefly see, most of whom I'll never talk to or touch in any way. But Jesus Christ knows every one of them so intimately to the number of hairs on their head, and it's easier to count mine these days. But with that in mind, 
He knows you as well. He knows the gifts that He's given you. He's given the challenges along with those gifts to use them to serve Him. That's what I want to live with, leave with you. What if you go? What if you obey? What wonderful, amazing things will He use you to do for Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that You sent Your Son to give his life for us, but not just to die, but to rise again into new life and to give us that life because we've surrendered our lives to you and claimed you and and become your children. You're our Savior. Father, as we go out of here today, I pray that you will give us real insight into the what-ifs in our life, what you've called us to do, and what you are doing that we're able to participate with. Lord, help us to serve you. Give us the strength. Give us the motivation, the determination to be obedient. I praise you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to take just a moment and pull this up out of the way and move my things out of your way.